behavior bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey. Thanks for joining us. As always, I'm going to bother you to subscribe. All you need to do, well, first of all, if you do not have Apple Podcasts, just listen. That's all I ask. But if you have Apple Podcasts and you fit into the Apple gang, please search Behavior Bitches on Apple Podcasts. Click on it, press subscribe, then click five stars. Again, this is low response effort. If you really love us, Take a couple of seconds and reinforce the shit out of us with a few words that are kind, like please. If you need ideas of what to write, I'll let you know. Just, Just kidding. Just hit us up. Yeah, hit us up. I I got lots of reinforcement in there that I, you could write. I have a whole list that you could just copy and paste. No, I'm kidding. But seriously, leave a review. And as always, you could find us on our Insta handle, at Behavior Bitches Podcast. I think we do need some love in that area. Facebook, Behavior Bitches Podcast. And I'm sorry, but you missed the opportunity for me to leave an affirmation if you left a comment. We've gotten that famous that I don't know if I could do that anymore. Trying yeah, to say we're, we're so we're so incredibly hot. It's crazy. No, just kidding. We're really just wicked tired all the time now. So we love you guys so much. Yeah, trying to keep this going. I mean, if you really need an affirmation to do it, just ask. I'll do it. But you follow. Okay. So now, before we get into today's topic, let's talk business, kind of. So we plan on doing an episode every now and then thrown in the mix where we answer questions. I don't know if you've ever heard of Dear Abby, but it will be Dear Behavior Bitches. You can submit a question for us, advice, some life struggle, enigma that you're dealing with. I always like the word enigma. It always, it was like an SAT word that actually resonated with me. What does it mean? It means a puzzle. Oh, okay. Um, Or whatever you want, and we'll answer your messages during our podcast. And you can sign off in some cool way, like love sperm donor or whatever your situation is. So like if you had impregnated someone, you didn't want the girl to know. I mean, I'm expecting you guys to send in really juicy situations. And then you would sign it off like love sperm donor or something or love desperate for this guy to love me or you'd be you know, like the dear Abby sign offs guys. Yeah, right? exactly. and we've already gotten some through Instagram. I am uh, screenshotting them and saving them to a separate folder for Liat and I to make uh, another episode on um, you know, all your questions that you are so awesome for asking. Yeah. All right. But wait, here we go. There's another matter of business that we want to share with you. So we love making this podcast. I mean, it's consuming my life and I love it. Um, But right now we are paying personally to make it for you, um, which is fine as we're starting to get followers and taking time and doing this. But we aren't rich like we plan to be one day yet. So we need your help. Liat, what are their options? So here are your options. You can sponsor an episode for $50. I mean, that's pretty cheap to get to hear us, I would say. Um, You can make a donation with an amount you feel comfortable with on our behaviorbitches.com website. Or you can buy advertisements with us. We know it's nice as F how there's no commercials here yet, but hey, hashtag girls gotta eat. So if you are interested in speaking to our audience, it will be us with our beautiful voices. I'm kidding. I know my voice is not beautiful at all. I actually, when I was in choir, when I was younger, I was asked not to sing. Just to I got sing. kicked out of choir, so that's awesome. 
Great. So we won't be singing them unless no. you want us to, if, if you want the product to sell. So we'll be adding a few advertisements in. Um, I mean, we're kind of proud of ourselves for starting this less than a month ago and having 6,500 subscribers. Holy as, shit. Well, as we speak. Okay, well, really. I didn't know it was that much. <laughs> right. 6,437 to be exact. You know we love that data. Um, That means if you have something you want us, the behavior bitches, to promote, whether it's BCBA positions, yes, we know it's hard to find valuable BCBAs out there. Um, So if you're a company, if you have a product you think our listeners would love, a mattress that a BCBA needs to get the best night's sleep in after being beat up by a client during the day, whatever it is, reach out to us. And within the next week, we will have an area on our website for you to pay the F up. Jokes. Well, kind of, but. You guys know how the podcast world works, right? If you don't, we're still learning too. So that is fine. All right, let's go into a little bit about what the F we have been up to in the last week, because we know you're dying to know, right? Actually, I thought people were bored to hear about us, by the way, Casey. But someone the other day said, I actually love that part of the episode. Um, Well, I think it makes us relatable and real and like we're BFFs and they are like, we're going through struggles just as much as they are. And it's nice to hear that, I think. Right. I mean... My life is basically perfect. Everything's going great. I mean, I couldn't ask for anything else. This week, I just hit a million dollars, and it's great. So what's going on with you? Oh, (laughs) yep. Same here. Perfect. Um, Getting a perfect eight hours of sleep every night with no sleeping meds necessary. I am um, rolling in the dough over here. My student loans actually got forgiven last night, so um, things are looking up for me here. Yes, the financial podcast, we had so many sponsors reach out to us just wanting to pay our bills, which is so sweet. Thank you so much. Love you to death. Hashtag blessed, guys. Okay, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about real shit. Um, So... I have a question for you, Leah, and I'm sure people listening. Um, part of my job right now is developing an outreach program. That means like getting credentialed with insurances and filling out the, I think it's the CAQH application. When you were working for your company, were you credentialed? Yeah, I was. But I think it actually, the amount of work that it takes to do it, I worked there for a year. How Not long did it take you? I think I brought with the final insurance. I literally think it was like two weeks before I left. Jesus. Like that's what I'm scared of. Also, they filled it out for me, which was nice because I wouldn't really know what to do. But um, so getting credential with insurance is a pain in the ass. Working with insurance is a pain in the ass. Um, Writing reports for insurance is also a pain in the ass. And also on a personal note, with someone with health issues, what insurance won't pay your bills, that's also a pain in the ass. Like what insurance, sorry, side note, this is my little rant, and I'm not going to insert a personal insurance provider. Like <laughs> when they pre-approved me getting three prosthetic fingers and then when push came to shove, they, they yeah. paid for two. Like out of three, <laughs> I lost them for the same reason. So I'm going to save my F-bomb, but I would like to use it and <laughs> insert insurance provider, but I won't. Oh my God, that's insane. Yeah, I know that the insurance world is hard and ABA, we just have to keep pushing guys. And we are a, like, we're an evidence-based leading treatment for autism and it is proven time and time again. Insurances will catch up to how awesome we are. Um, so that's I don't, I don't think it's a matter of insurance catching up to how awesome we are. I think it's like, oh my God, this profession, this 
evidence-based treatment works, but holy crap, they need a lot of hours. We are paying a shit ton out of pocket. So we're going to try screw them in every way we can. That's personally how I feel about insurance. Um, yeah. Just letting you know. Also, I didn't really sleep well last night. So expect me to be real, real today. Okay. Right. That's a, I think someone text, uh, posted in one of our things that when do you sleep or when do like with all with the teaching classes, with the podcasting, with working, with everything. It's a hashtag hustle, guys. And today we are tired, but we are here because we love you. Okay. And, and I'm sure you could see me today as to why I, I use that um, flower filter on Instagram. Yes. On, I mean, what I look like right now, if you could see through here, all the spots I get from scleroderma. Oh, yeah, I can see. Yeah. It's okay, so, girl. You're so beautiful. Uh -huh. um, uh, all right. Okay. So we're yeah. also going to continue on with our reinforcing review of the day. So we are taking um, a review from Apple Podcast. Um we are so grateful that you guys are leaving us good reviews. Um, it's so reinforcing for our behavior to continue. But this one is from Samantha F. I didn't want to put her last name um, for anonymity. HIPAA. HIPAA. Hashtag HIPAA. Um, it's, she says, and she's so sweet, you guys literally give me life and motivation. Best thing to listen to if you want to learn something about ABA related, understand ABA, and laugh at the same effing time. Thank you, Samantha. We pride ourselves in being able to make you guys laugh and learn, laugh and learn. Yeah. We decided to do this podcast because we love talking, but I have to say, and I know everyone who's in our classes we teach is probably like, okay, Leon and Casey, shut the F up referring to your podcast, but it's actually amazing. We're not actually doing the podcast in any order for the way that we teach to align with it, but there's certain things where I'm like, Actually, go listen to episode three. Trust me, you will understand the difference between mentalism and behaviorism. So it, it just happens to work out well and hope this nicely adds or enhances your study experience. Yeah, that's very true. It is, um, I think, a lot of the topics we tie into every episode. And so it is beneficial to listen to all the episodes, starting with the teaser all the way to this one. All right, guys. Well, without further ado, I think it's time that we get into today's topic. All right. So today's topic hits um, super close to home for me. It's also a huge problem in our society today. It is addiction. People don't want to talk about it. It's considered taboo. You know, it's hid behind closed doors, um, but it is affecting people all over the world. It's a huge epidemic and it doesn't discriminate between what type of person. Some people are like, oh, it's just junkies on the street. That's bullshit. Okay. It could be a house mom. It could be, you know, in this case, we have my sister here. She's a gorgeous, how old are you? 30? Yeah. 30 years old. Um, and she, you know, has a great story to tell us. Um, it's a sensitive topic, but we are here to also provide support. Um, I'm going to shout out some hotlines that um, you can go to if you may need to get help yourself or help for other people. Um, so there's groups called uh, Alcohol Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Al-Anon, which is helpful for people um, 
maybe a sibling or a friend or a parent of somebody who has a, an addiction. Um, also, there's the National Hotline for Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services. Um, the number is 1-800-662-HELP. So that's 4357. They're open 24-7. They're English and Spanish. They're super confidential. Um, and a little uh, hashtag empiricism fact. In 2018, they received 68 thousand calls per month that's i'm really sorry to be bad. a little bit exact casey but it's sixty-eight thousand six hundred eighty-three. you know we don't round up you know I, you know i didn't say that it was because i didn't know how to say it as a number <laughs> i was like wondering why you were saying it i was like i was like casey casey the comma means thousand the comma means thousand <laughs> you like how i played that off like, yeah. like six okay anyways guys wow you. master's degree thank you um master's what i know National Drug Helpline is another one. It's 1-800-633-3239. Also, um, it's actually 1-888-633-3239. Lord help us. Okay. Lord help us. I guys, just, that just shows how we work as a team, okay? I'm glad that you got, you're like my eyes. Mm-hmm. It's because my outline's not printed and I'm reading on my computer. It's, anyway. I'm telling you, it's a huge difference. Um, I'll learn that behavior next time. Also, guys, we are not professionals in any way um, when it comes to this. So don't use us in place of seeking professional help, please. That's why we're giving you these resources. And we hope that if you do need some help or help for someone you know, that you will use the resources. Totally. All right. So when people hear the word addiction, they immediately think of substance abuse. But people could be addicted to a variety of self-reinforcing behaviors, including constantly checking your phone, checking social media, exercising. I wish that was a little bit more of an exercise. I mean, an issue that, yeah, God. (laughs) Sex, food, abusive relationships. God, I'm tired today. By the way, I'm not trying to get it to further talk about this topic, but I feel like I lately have been addicted to checking social media i'm just saying like between same here between the behavior bitches podcast instagram behavior bitches podcast facebook behavior bitches email so study notes aba email study notes aba resource share study notes aba new bcba group we started and but all the emails i literally feel like my brain is fried so i need to insert some self-care there but anyways all the things you could be addicted to exercising sex food abusive relationships gambling etc so let's go into a little background on addiction um and tie in some behavior principles before we introduce our amazing guest so um i've did some research and um Although addictive behaviors may be influenced by genetic, environmental, and behavior factors, addictive behaviors are learned, hashtag operant behaviors, and they are reinforced by the effects of behavioral choices. This made me think of hashtag matching law, right? Behavior goes where reinforcement flows, where it feels good, using a drug or whatever you're doing that feels good, that's where your behavior is going to flow. Um, According to the National Institute of Drug Abuse for Teens, children of parents with addiction problems are at an increased risk of addiction um, themselves because they are learning the same behaviors, guys. When you see a behavior, um, you are learning that behavior. So a huge thing we need to do to make new paired associations that don't reinforce the addictive behaviors is we need to use a DRA. 
Now, if you're listening and you're in the field, DRA is differential reinforcement of alternative behaviors. So we want to find replacement behaviors for these drugs or for the drug use, which we know is difficult, but we will get further into that. Um, But let's get into our guest. I'm so, so, so excited our guest is here today, and I'm so happy to meet someone who's connected to you, Casey, and I'm sorry that this is the topic that we have to bring someone on for, but I'm also so thankful because this is not a joke, and this is something that way more people than you or I or anyone listening realizes go through. I mean, I kind of know because I do pride myself on, and I probably don't even know, I pride myself on being an avid intervention listener, hence the music that must have been inserted earlier. But um, today our guest is actually Casey's fabulous and brave sister whose firsthand experience with addiction, and she's ready to tell all of you her story, her journey, the good and the bad, the ugly the ugly and everything in between so that maybe she can save one person listening. I know that speaking to Casey before the podcast, she had mentioned that um, her sister, Caitlin, who's here, was a little nervous to do it, but excited with the thought of if I could save one person by doing this podcast, I know I've helped one person. So thank you so much for coming. And so Leon and I are going to jump in and interrupt her where it's appropriate, ask her some questions and insert some behavioral principles at work that we see as applied behavioral analysts. And we're going to try to shed some topic or some light on this very serious and hard to talk about topic. So we'll get into some facts later, but I think right now, um, I just want to say to my sister, Caitlin, thank you for being here. Firstly, Thank you for having me. You are a badass for coming out and telling your story to thousands. Yeah, that's right. We have that many listeners. Um, Hope it's more soon. Just kidding. Um, I am so proud of you as your sister. Um, I know that you are nervous, but also excited to come talk about this because you have a very personal journey to share. So let's start into some questions and see how it goes. Okay. And I am here to support you. I got your back. We have our large iced coffee. We're holding each other's hands. (laughs) Yeah. By the way, um, again, thank you so much for coming. Literally you doing an episode like this, I could tell you just from our abuse episode, um, we had so many people reach out and say, wow, like, thank you so much for talking about gaslighting or thank you so much for talking about this is something that I didn't know that other people were experiencing or I mean I'm sure you know some people might be dealing with this with a sibling or something and they feel embarrassed like oh well this makes me like a lower caliber which is not true at all and I could even tell you how um I relate in some sense, not at all to the degree, but I'm just saying that this could happen to anyone. This is someone who has their shit together. This is a lawyer. This is a doctor. This is no one who's beneath anyone else. So I urge you to listen with entirety. Please stop whatever you're doing if you're driving pullover. Well, kidding. Get your tissues out. Yeah. No, it's fine. All right. So let's start, Kate. Let's start from the beginning, okay? Um, and talk to me about maybe uh, we kind of had this similar childhood, but maybe things that were different that I didn't experience. Like, can you remember things from your childhood that may have um, been an antecedent event, a setting event to your um, journey? Oh, most definitely. We did have the same, we grew up in the same home, but 
Casey was always off and running. Oh, nothing's changed. (laughs) And um, so I was the one who was attached to my mom's hip and saw the firsthand violent abuse from one of her husbands and seeing the drug, her drug use firsthand as well. It was more, she tried to hide it, but I think that a lot of my things in my childhood definitely made me feel the need to be numb. So do you, would you think of it as like you were escaping like aversive negative feelings that you had or memories? Most definitely. I think that that's why everybody, you know, that does drugs has some type of reason why they want to be numb, why they want to escape reality Mm -hmm. because of, you know, trauma that has happened in their childhood or even in their adulthood. So can I ask quickly, sorry, just because I, as I'm going to try be the outside source because I know you know some of it going on, Casey. But mm-hmm. so are you saying your mom had an addiction issue as yes. long as you can remember? Yes. And same with our fathers. So. Yeah. Both of our parents. Okay. So this is something that you saw. Yeah. And it was definitely like, I, like a learned behavior. <laughs> right. And like I had mentioned previously, guys, that um, children of addicts are more likely to become addicts themselves because it's something that they've learned over the years and it's maybe something all that they know. Um, and typically when you have drug abuse in the home, you also are going to have violence. Mm-hmm. And um, there's actually a thing called the ACEs and it's like a scoring on um, like adver- aversive events in your childhood um, that can, you can, you know, was a parent incarcerated, were your parents divorced and your more likelihood to um, engage in those same you know, behaviors, escape maintained you know, addictive behaviors. And when you grow up seeing an adult do the same thing, that escaping and that numbing, you learn that behavior as well as something that is normal, that isn't normal. But you kind of learn those same behaviors as in, oh, what can I do if this happens and I want to not think about it or I want to run away from it. If you can't physically run away from it, you're 90% 90% going to go to drugs or anything else, the gym, sex, gambling, anything. Right. Totally. And I think that, I mean, I'm just going to say how strong a parent's modeling goes in terms of learned behaviors. Like recently, I'm sure you guys know that I got this little French bulldog Pavlov. When I got him, he was literally the size of like half my shoe size. I'm a size eight and a half. So maybe like a size four. and I went to someone, a friend of mine's house, who's a mom, and her kids were like freaking out, like as if, and I'm like, what? Like this mom had modeled this behavior, and this is obviously not related to drugs, but I'm just saying these kids who like this tiny animal, they had modeled their parents' behavior, even like about like fear of a dog, right? And the dog was literally the size of like a a rabbit, a small rabbit. Small rabbit, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, this just goes and there's coping mechanisms that they see from their parents. And Casey, when we had the podcast the other day, like I realized a, a lot of things my dad was saying about bit, like money, how to deal with it. Like I've seen these things modeled from a young age. Right. So it was right. like, oh yeah. Okay. This is what I saw as standard and mm-hmm. not knowing a difference. And so a lot of people who have been through abuse or drugs, you don't know anything different. No, right? you don't. And your behavior is almost being shaped, you know, a hundred percent. And our childhood was great. 
Yeah, I mean, we're and again, I want to shout out my mom. We mm-hmm. love you so much. Um, she did the best with what she had, like her skills, um, and she was amazing. A single mom. Shout out to all the single moms out there. Um, but addiction again, it doesn't discriminate. And she had childhood childhood aversive events that led to her abuse. Um, and that's a cycle, you know what I mean? And then it continued to, you know, her children. Um, luckily, I mean, I'm sure I'm addicted to many, like, <laughs> like exercise being perfect. Like, um, I like my glass of wine after work or my <laughs> whiskey soda. Um, but a whiskey lot of that soda, I thought it was a vodka soda. That's what I, well, it's, yeah, it, yeah, it could be either. Actually. Either or. <laughs> um, I was luckily, um, I didn't have the experience, like the very aversive experience, like childhood trauma that Caitlin will talk about. Um, Who's older? Maybe, Who's older, by the way? Me, duh, Casey. Um, the controlling one. <laughs> controlling. <laughs> yeah, I'm obsessively controlling. So that is not a good thing either. But um, I had to like always make sure everything was, you know, perfect and, you know, to help take care of my sister. And I was always at this anxious little like worry wart mm-hmm. that I still continue to be and try to practice some skills. But, um, anyways. and I don't want to get, I don't want to like push anything too far. So you could always just tell me like, Liat, shut the hell up. Nothing is off limits. I told what, her that. What was, yeah. I just tell people like, I told Casey yesterday, she's like, I think I need to like start working on my real job a little bit more, Liat. And I'm like, okay, just tell me to F off. That's fine. Um, Hashtag so, boundaries. Yeah. Working on it. I don't think either of us have really good ones, but um, so if I say, do you feel like there was maybe one triggering event in particular? I mean, I know it was modeled behavior, but I don't know. And you might be like, Liat, you ignorant piece of shit. You just watch intervention. You don't know anything. But I feel <laughs> like based on the intervention that I do watch, and when I say watch intervention, I mean, I've watched like every season. Like binge watch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it seems like, uh, and I'm not saying this is what you went through, but was there something, um, I saw a lot of people, there was a consistent theme I've seen is either like sexual abuse of some sort. Um, I don't know if that's always, like, was there some kind of antecedent event in particular that then further that like, so something went on and Mm -hmm. then it, then you used behaviors that you had seen modeled before. Was there something in particular? Most definitely. And I was going to talk about that. When I was 13, I lost my virginity when I was raped at a party. So that was a huge underlying. If anything, it showed me just to throw me right into the throes of addiction. I think from then on, I have been addicted ever since. Yeah, that's a horrible, horrible thing. That's, to that's at terrible. But it, it seems like it's obviously. So it's not just me being like ignorant watching intervention. No, it no. is a consistent theme. I mean, not the only thing, obviously, but yeah, I think it's a buildup of a lot of things. But when something that traumatic happens at such a young age and you have seen these behaviors and you've seen what to do when these things happen and you don't have the right coping skills or support system or support system, then that's what you tend to go to or resources. Like not everyone can afford to send their kid to the, all these like rehabilitation or therapy centers. I mean, you said you had a single mom. So Mm -hmm. these are all also variables that play into this. So I think that also led to like your mental health disorders. So what were you diagnosed with? Um, Anxiety, ADHD, PTSD, um, bipolar. Yeah. And that's like, you know, if you don't have the insurance or the money to go to like proper therapy, Mm -hmm. they 
prescribe you all these pills and, you know, I'm insurance companies and doctors are, you know, so prescribe happy. Like you go in and it's like, there's could be such a simple therapeutic like way to deal with the issues that you're having. And they just prescribe pills. Yeah. It's like here. It's like a pill mill. A pill I mill. mean, don't get me wrong. I am to- like, if you saw my, I mean, I have bragged about my pill box before on the study <laughs> notes Instagram, just because I was so proud of my organization method. Um, I mean, I was on lots of pills even before I got onto all these lupus stuff, but right. But like when I look at it, but I also like when we talk about in behavior, we talk about doing things in combination. We're like, okay, if you're using punishment, you need to make sure you're reinforcing something else with it. So like I was on these pills, but I also came from a side where uh, my family was able to put me in the right support system. So like you didn't have that. So you had to find that out somewhere else. Like you needed to address those issues elsewhere. So it seems like a few variables need to be in line. Right. And I think uh, when you talk about the motivating operation, right? So for my sister, I'll let her tell you, but when she first um, started, you know, her, you know, drug addiction. Um, How old her- were you when you first tried drugs? 11. 11. 11. 11 when I was first prescribed painkillers from an operation in What was 12, your appendix 13. or your ovaries? My appendix was when I was 10 and then my wow. tonsils when I was 12. And then so you're, the motivation there is that you're in pain, right? Mm-hmm. And the uh, taking of the prescription drugs made you feel better. that you're prescribed by a doctor. So you don't think that it's, you know, it's not a bad thing. I'm not going to, they don't tell you that you could become addicted to it. Like back then they don't. Um, and so her motivation was to remove the pain. pain. It was right. Negatively reinforced. Um, right. So removing something, removing the pain and reinforcement because you're increasing the future frequency that that's what you do when you're in pain. Exactly. And that's exactly what it was when even my periods having endometriosis every month I was on, I was prescribed Percocet at from nine, 10 years old on. So we're talking like 20, 15, 20 years of being prescribed something. It's just sad to me. Sorry to interrupt, but like, I'm just like, makes me so effing mad that Mm -hmm. like someone who's going through like pain, um, like, so you had a lot of childhood, you know, with your endometriosis, which I <laughs> witnessed, you would projectile mm-hmm. vomit every month. You were so sick. Um, your, um, your operation for your appendix, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But like, be, it's like not fair that just because you had, you know, painful stuff that you now are prescribed addictive, these, yes. like highly, addictive, highly addictive as a child pain meds, um, where I was, I didn't have any, uh, medical medical issues. issues growing up so i never was prescribed any of this so i wonder what would happen if i had been if i had a taste of what she had a taste mm-hmm. of i've never tasted any of that stuff like tasted by meaning taking it but like um so fast forward a little bit kate and tell us about um as so you say as a kid you were prescribed those pain meds and then did that turn to like more recreational yeah, it didn't. I can't remember even being in high school and taking those pain meds ever really withdrawing from them. Like just like, always being just on them? Just always being on them. Or the withdrawal, me not realizing the gravity of it, mm-hmm. of how much your body needs these. Mm-hmm. 
I don't ever remember going through any of that. I don't know if it's because I was consistently taking 80 milligram Oxycontins a day, two or three times a day, or, and then I got prescribed with my back pain when I was 20, right after I, right before I had my son. And they had me on oxycodone and oxycotton and fentanyl patches and um, morphine pills. My insurance would not allow the oxycotton with the oxycodone. So they made me try the fentanyl patch and the morphine pills before they would pay for the oxycotton, which fentanyl patches is for people who have cancer. I've had them before. Yeah, I was 20, 21 years old being prescribed things that are more addictive than what I was actually on. And like, so wait, this this all, so, okay, as someone with a chronic illness who is, um, so it's, it's also a fine line. So it's a matter of when you're in agonizing pain, let's just talk about MOs in the moment. Okay. So MO, remember that means like how valuable a consequence or reinforcer is to you in that moment. Get it? MO meant. Um, so as someone who has lupus and thank God, knock on wood, um, ends up in the hospital quite a bit when I go in there and I am in excruciating pain, I'm talking about pain where I'm like, I mean, I, let's say my fingers were coming off, right? In that moment, there is nothing more valuable to me than I go in there and I'm like, get me delauded now, like now. And I am counting down the seconds till I could get it. So in one sense, it's like that thing is so valuable to you in that moment. And so the doctor is doing what they can to help. But also, I mean, you also need someone educated along the way to be like, okay, this, this is, is what can happen. This is dangerous. And and I was telling talking to Casey, we always talk before the episodes and in every I other moment of the day. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I get it. I'm calming down. Um no, I'm kidding. And so what for so my typical regimen is I go into the hospital with a flare up. I'm typically like highly dehydrated at that point. It turns into me like vomiting and diarrhea everywhere and like can't move, can't get my shirt off, can't do anything, like screaming in pain. And I'm like, okay, I need fluids and Dilaudid now, right? Immediately. Yeah. And in that moment, that is all that is valuable to me. It is. Now, and it changes when, your behavior, right? Your behavior is I do whatever I need to do, right? right. It's going to it's going to um have an evocative effect on behavior in terms of make me do whatever I need to do to get it. So That's what it's like to be on heroin. That's Exactly. exactly. So I was telling Casey and I know we're going to get into like the fact that you've recently been to the hospital for something for your tooth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, at one thing I would be like, well, F you doctors, like, how are you not giving me these meds right now? And, and yes, I have gone into the hospital times now where I, I'll be in a different city, like New York or something, visiting my sister. And I end up in the hospital with a flare up. And here I am, this young adult who might look fine on the outside. So immediately they're like, nope, sorry, we're going to give you Tylenol. And I'm like, no, 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 no. F you. I need Dilaudid. Now I know as soon as you say it like that, it's like, okay, she's an addict. seeking behavior. Yeah. Right. So they know it. I mean, what do you say? Still seeking behavior. behavior. 
Yeah. So Ooh, I've never heard that pill seeking <laughs> behaviors guy. Yeah. So they know. So by the way, it's also shaped my behavior. I know how to go in now mm-hmm. and how to ask. I mean, I, since my fingers came off, I was, I was telling Casey yesterday, I think it helped my situation a little bit because it's like, no, 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 I really am sick. Like they need to well, see an observable behavior. Yeah. Like, I'm like not permanent, a permanent product right here. My fingers <laughs> came off. So this is obviously a, a legit thing, but I, it shaped my behavior in a sense of like knowing how to ask. I like, so I like to go to the hospital where I know they have all my medical records. Like this girl has a real thing. But if I'm in another place, it's like, all right, this young adult wants drugs. There's an opiate de- epidemic. You and so for it. Yes. And, and it almost feels it increases the value of that reinforcer even more. It's like, ah, I achieved something. I got it. Yes. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing our dad in the hospital and he was really, I mean, like super, super, super sick and so many surgeries and, um, open wounds and they were, you know, giving him dilated every four hours. And, um, you know, it started becoming not enough. And then his behavior would be, um, yelling at the nurses, getting angry. Um, you know, it seemed like it was, it was just a never ending cycle is that he'd get his meds. He'd He'd be be happy. happy and high and like, fun to be around. And then as it started wearing off, he would, it was almost like he was already entering that withdrawal phase. Um, and then of course they send you home and don't give you anything. And it's like, uh, for three months you were just on that and then you're going to seek other behaviors. And I think that brings us into asking Caitlin. So what, um, you were prescribed all these pills, right? Mm -hmm. Did they just like stop prescribing you? And what happened? What was it like setting event for why you turned to your drug of choice, which is heroin. (laughs) Right. Um, Let's be real and honest here because that's what we do at the Behavior Bitches podcast. Yes. So I was on these painkillers for maybe three years. And when I got taken off of them for having something in my system in one of my urine tests, for having something in my system that they were prescribing, I think that it was getting to the point in this whole epidemic where they were trying to pull back. They were realizing that a lot of these people have these problems and this addiction because of the prescribing happy that the prescribers get when they're like, oh, here's this, this, and this. So you were on what? Oxycontin, oxycodone. 30 milligram oxycodones three times a day and 20 milligram oxycontins twice a day. And so when- Did that ever stop working for you? Oh yeah, yeah. Because like my sister said, it gets to the point where your body needs more. Just like anything that you take, your body gets immune to it and you need more and need more. You habituated to it. Yeah, habituated to it. So it started off with, you know, five milligram Percocets to 10s to 15s to 30s to then needing the um, Oxycontin, which is a longer lasting. It's not. And your doctor was like, just like, yeah, prescribe, prescribe, prescribe for three years. And then like in saying it, you know, they start realizing that people are becoming addicted to this and then they start. what, What do they do? they just started like reeling it in like, okay, I had uh, muscle relaxer, cyclobenzaprine in my system. And that was enough for them when they prescribed that to me to begin with. So, I mean, it was a blessing in disguise, but when they, so they tested your, sorry, explain this to people. They tested your urine to, in order for you to keep getting prescribed the exactly. pills you were on and you had taken some, taken something that wasn't currently prescribed yes. and it was in your system. So then they just took you off completely. Yes. Like cold Turkey, like cold Turkey. No. Oh no. They tried to give me extinction. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they tried to give me, um, colonidine, which is a blood pressure medication in the, um, anti-diarrhea medicine, 
but that's all um, under the withdrawal medications that they would give out. But that does not, when you're on such a high amount of pills for like that, that long, holy shit. I just, I just want to throw something in here for anyone being an asshole and judging the situation, because let's be real. We know when you talk about something like this, people judge mm-hmm. that this could be anyone. Okay. Like I'm just like, I don't know. I like to think that you guys like think I'm cool and like have my shit together, which I don't know. Maybe you don't. And I'm just like tooting my own horn. But when I was going through these different things in my finger, I was on a drip like every 10 minutes. It was on a fixed interval of 10. I was able to push a button for this drip. When I would be out of the hospital, I had Dilaudid tablets to take every two hours and a fentanyl patch on on top of that. Okay, like and then I wasn't making it to the two hours anymore. And I would just scream on top of my lungs. My parents didn't know what to do. They were like worried at a certain point. And like the fact right now that I am it's it's not about like, oh, this person has willpower. This one doesn't. I was lucky that like one doctor saw me at some point in the hospital and was like, all right, this bitch. Enough is enough. Yeah. Like they came to talk to me and my fingers were coming off. It was nerve pain. No amount of Dilaudid or anything was touching the pain because those were like like dopamine drugs. Right. I think like dopamine like or opioids don't touch nerves so like they took Mm -hmm. me off it but the thing is this could be anyone like i mean i'm just like lucky as shit that i'm not addicted to it but this is anyone it's more and more these days like um i've been reading articles of you know some of the reasons contributing to the opioid addiction and you know you think of like um kids that go not kids teenagers however old you are you go in to get your wisdom teeth out and they prescribe you um either vicodin or percocet or an oxy um and you're you could really get by with an ibuprofen 800 mm-hmm. honestly and they're that i think that's actually now a law that they're implementing because but casey it's a hard line to draw because i could tell you when i go in with certain things give me a like a tylenol 800 i'll be like lick my butt like literally (laughs) like kiss my ass like i am here like like so it's it's hard i'm talking about for like a a a typical kid who has no problems no 100 percent. they break their arm or something and then they're immediately prescribed this high dose pain meds and that's where um you know they get that taste Mm -hmm. that um but there's there's also multiple factors playing in like look at your sister okay like she was really in pain she needed this at the time but and and think about this also your mo like meaning your background situation beforehand right so someone who right now like right now i feel like thank god i have a lot of different things going for me but when you're in an amount of pain you don't have those things matter. going for you. It mm-hmm. changes your state of mind. Like nothing matters. You're in agony, whether it's emotional pain or physical pain. Like for me, my fingers are coming off. I'm like, there's nothing valuable in my life. Like I was just lucky. Like seriously, like there was nothing better than those pills. That was the highlight of my day. Yeah. Well, that's where the doctors come in and where they're supposed to, when you go in every month to your appointment, they have a sheet that you know, they check off that goes through your, what you look like physically, what you look, you know, how your emotional state is, how you're dressed, how you're handling yourself. And all the doctors did back then, they just didn't pay attention to it. You know, I would go in and you could see that I was withdrawing. I mean, I would go in literally withdrawing. And so I looked a mess, felt a mess. You were a mess. I was a mess. (laughs) Complete hashtag messy was me (laughs) the lingo yeah yeah so but you know the doctors didn't tell you back then either that these things are so highly addictive you know oxycontin never put on their warning label they knew either no they knew 
They knew. They just of didn't course I'm want... here playing devil's advocate. <laughs> they know. just didn't want to, you know what I mean, put that out there because once that's out there, then oh maybe people won't. That's why the pharmaceuticals are getting sued so much. Because okay, so what was you your let's get out away from yeah, insurance? Sorry. No, no, mm-hmm. that's fine. Um, but I think we want to get into um why you decided to turn to heroin. Um what was that tipping I, point? Well, first of all, I swore because my dad did heroin that I would never, I mean, I promised myself my whole childhood that I would never, ever try heroin. And probably right, like maybe not too long after I had my son, everybody was doing it because the pills were too expensive and, you know, and when you say everyone, are you talking about like bums on the street or you're no, talking I'm about talking, like, I'm talking about p- kids from rich neighborhoods, kids from families who you wouldn't think would try this because it has no discrimination. You can be from the most upper class family. You can be that AKA junkie in the alley. You, it doesn't just, you could have a perfect sister like me and, and still, still choose to do yeah. it. <laughs> that was just me being funny. I'm and, kidding. And I can't blame any of it on my parents. I, it, you know, I have to sit now in my recovery, I have to sit there and take full responsibility for why I chose to want to be numb, why I chose to not deal with those traumas that happened, why I chose to go this route. And I, that's been a huge thing for me and my sister, because the whole time that I was using, we were fighting, arguing. We didn't have this relationship. No, I would never would have had her on this podcast. Are you effing kidding me? <laughs> we were like, I just, you, I, I'm a person who I try to be compassionate and empathetic and I am at my job all day long, but trying to find that, uh, for my sister, cause I knew she was using was really hard and I just got really mean, mm-hmm. um, and that's where Al-Anon comes in, guys, um, to help you get through that as a family member of someone who's struggling with addiction. But yeah, she would lie to me, lie to my face. Like, I'd be like, you're fucking can't even, that's my F-bomb. You can't even <laughs> keep your eyes open. You're falling down the stairs. You passed out on the staircase. She's like, I took a nap. I'm like, you don't nap on a staircase, okay? So uh, we make light of this because we have to. We have to laugh about this now because we went through years of, Oh my God. I have like PTSD of still, you know, like going over. I'm like, is she going to still be sober? Like Mm -hmm. it's a fine line and families have to support and like accept and, and know that things, you know, are going to be tough. Um, but yeah, things were horrible when, because all that we do as addicts or me, I can only speak for myself was the lies, manipulation, you know, it really ruins all the relationships that you have in life because you don't care about anything but that high. You have it, one purpose, and it is to gain that, access to that. And exactly. You will don't care do, what you do to get to it. You'll do anything. You'll go through anything to get through it just to get that next high. So the lies you would come up with were hilarious. Thinking back on them now, I'm like looking at you like, Oh, I had to take the, a nap. Like, I was no, napping. like just like elaborate things that were like so crazy. I was like, this is nuts. That's your mind on drugs, kids. Yeah. You will come up with anything and everything <laughs> to make it look like I would literally be high, high and call Casey and just start like crying and yelling and I would abuse her. Yeah. I mean, it was a cycle. Of abuse it was a sure. huge cycle. But, and, but look at that, that by the way, insert behavioral principle, that's response generalization, right? She, yeah. she had one function. She wanted one thing. Um, 
And by the way, when we talk about maintaining this behavior, there's Casey, remind me to come back to that, what's maintaining it. But okay. when I talk about response generalization, she had one purpose, right? She wanted access to one thing. So she did whatever she needed to do. And whether it was, I'm sure you probably lied to get access to things. You probably, I don't know. You tell me if I'm wrong. I watch a lot of interventions. So be like, Leah, you're dumb. <laughs> I told you. Um, like you'll steal, you'll take stuff to pawn it. Like these are all functionally equivalent behaviors to doing whatever you need to do to gain access to it. Right. Am, am I right? Yeah, you are right. Can, is there, can you point out one thing that you like look back in hindsight, if you feel comfortable with it? And like now in hindsight, that was like, wow, that was an all time low that I did this. Um, there's a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for sharing, by the way. I know that this is. I would rather be completely transparent and honest and tell my story and hopefully help somebody than to tell parts of my story or lie about certain things. Addiction is addiction, whether no matter what it is that you're doing, it still sucks. And the stigma of it, it is, is even worse. So, um, I mean, like, yeah, like I said, there's a lot of things that I go back to that I'm like, oh, wow, I probably shouldn't have done that. Um, what about, okay, I have one, and this is kind of going to lead us into um, the uh, kind of major thing mm -hmm. that happened that led you to get clean. My son, most definitely. What happened? When DCYF got called um, and they showed up at the house, they came in and they, they asked, you know, we got, first of all, that I never fed my son. My no, son this is, is what someone said. This, this is, is not dramatic. This weighs is, like yeah. 110 pounds. He's a yeah. giant. This is allegations that I never fed my son and that I was a heroin addict. And I woke, I actually woke my son up and had the lady see him because at that point he was like 100 pounds. And I was like, I don't feed my son. If anything, he's overfed and he's, you know, very well taken care of. But I admitted to her, like, yes, I am a heroin user. You know, she was like, can you pee in a cup right now? Is it going to be clean? I lied and said yes, because I felt like that would give me some time to get things out of my system. Um, and then she left and had to do her investigation. And a month later, she came back and took my son and had him go with his dad. It's OK. We got you. No, but, but look yeah. where you are now. Look where you yes. are now. OK. <laughs> and Maddox is back. He's living his best life as a nine-year-old, right? Almost. Yeah. Um, Nine going on 30. So, yeah. So, that's a hard thing for her to share and for me. Um, so, we're going to take a quick reset. Here we go. Um, so, yeah. So, Maddox got taken from her. And for like went two and a half months. Two and a half months. He went to live with his dad. He had to switch schools, which is really, uh, you know, hard for a little kid who's in, what, first grade? Kindergarten? Um, yeah. yeah. He was in first grade. Um, so, you, what did you, like, what was your decision? Um, instead of, I know a lot of people who lost their kids and continued to get high. And um, that feeling of having him taken, I couldn't breathe. And so I. That means you're a good mama. <laughs> okay. You can take a moment. People on the podcast, you can just chill, right? You know how hard this must be for somebody to talk about. Yeah, don't worry. Take your time. 
<laughs> so right there. Okay, so her her losing her son, right? That is going to be a huge that was her punishment, right? A huge punisher that was stronger than the reinforcing principles or feelings high. of getting high. Yeah, I knew life without him was going to be way like Punishing. my life with yeah my life with him was better than any high me being a mom to him was wow than any high so i went right away and i got into um ilp which is intensive outpatient program where i had to go to classes a couple times a week for a couple hours a day and um do drug tests every single day i went in there and that's just what I did to get clean. And I found a lot of people in recovery and that's been my driving force ever since. So I, I want to say something behaviorally really quickly to insert. First of all, thank you for sharing this. And it's actually a blessing that you have your son because ultimately yeah. that could have saved your life, right? Most, I mean, it seems like that you, so when we talk about drugs, oftentimes I, I let's talk about functions of behavior. So you, the antecedent was you went through something, right? You went through shit, whether it was, you know, um, being raped or, you know, like whatever it was, the, like the antecedent event. So at that point, I'm assuming you, pro oh, you could correct me if I'm wrong, it's probably started off with escape, right? You wanted to escape something. You weren't like the way you were feeling the same way anyone who drinks, uh, after yeah. even a long day of work, right? On a, a different scale. I mean, yeah, I have escape maintained behaviors like all of us. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. My my like my drug of choice is clonopin. So I was prescribed <laughs> that as well. So I understand that. <laughs> yeah. So uh whatever. So I'm assuming it started with escape. And by the way, guys, behavior could be multi multiply maintained. Okay. So it started with escape. Now it seems until if I'm right, well, uh, well, drugs, we actually, I mean, there's research on them. I like, I mean, it's not my total background, but there is some addictive effect. I mean, there is something that it actually does to your brain. It's not like you're no, it, choosing. It really is. It is like, like the uh, consequences, like the reinforcing mechanism associated with um, the behavior, the pleasure centers have been stimulated by that drug, like the dopamine, serotonin. I don't really know and exactly so all that. You don't have is. them anymore. Right. So it's, it's right. So it was initially brain. escape maintained, which I'm sure that continued to be something because you're like, oh, wait, this worked. And I actually was, was able to escape it for a little. Mm -hmm. and, and then my body needed it. My brain and then it, it took on exactly as Caitlin saying, then it took on a automatic or sensory mm -hmm. um, component of function of behavior. Now her body actually needed there was some biological need. Right. And we compare this when we see some behaviors that don't have the typical escape attention or tangible. Um, I mean, it probably also did have a tangible, right. You engage in these behaviors to get access to a tangible item. So mm -hmm. drugs has like, there are so many functions of that behavior and drugs. Think about it, that is the ultimate reinforcer. I mean, that is why people are addicted to find something to compete with the reinforcer. Uh, forcing value of drugs is so hard. I mean, the hardest to treat for sure. The hardest. It's like, oh, okay. Why don't you go start? Um, getting yoga. Into, yeah, yoga, crocheting. Like, 
yeah, right. Kiss my That's ass. Right. That is not. Exactly. And I don't know. Tell me if I'm 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 right at all. And it, it might not be to the same level, but as someone who has quite a bit of experience with going to the hospital for Dilaudid, I know that that tell me if the feeling is similar. I whenever I go there, I'm like, this is how someone who's addicted to heroin must feel. I wait for that second for that needle to get in there, right? Like I'm all anxious until they could get the IV in my arm because I hate needles more than mm -hmm. anything. But when when I see that container or that little um, vial vial of the Dilaudid, I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, it's coming, it's coming. When they put it in and I'm like, put it in fast, put it in fast. I really want to feel it because yeah. I don't like it when they like mix it Do with it like slow. the fluid. I'm like, mm -hmm. I really want to feel this. Like I'm in agony right now. Like, and then they put it in and suddenly you get this feeling like you're going to like throw up. You get nauseous for like a hot second. And then it's this warmth that comes over your whole body. You're like, did I just pee my pants? I can't tell because, and you don't feel anything. You are numb. Is that? That's exactly, I couldn't describe it any better. That's exactly what it is. Okay. So that feeling. So I wanted to throw up and wanting to pee your pants. I'm I like, know, it sounds sound good. Is it the initial, like it's this nausea, right? You're like, yes. your head feels like it's going to explode in that mm -hmm. one second, but and it makes it that much better because it's like this warmth and it's like, when I go in, I'm telling you, I'm in a type of pain. Like I've been in hospital rooms screaming, like cut my hands off. I don't need them anymore. I'm in so much pain. Like, I don't need these fingers. I don't need my hands. Um, I should so, just Leah, die. I have a question for you. Okay. Yeah. Um, why do you think that you didn't um, develop an addiction when you had been given this feeling? So I think when I compare, I, I just wanted to know if like, I'm I'm being stupid thinking that like it compares to your feeling. No, that's exactly. <laughs> okay. So the reason I think when I look at it is I think it's the environmental, like the environment along with um, my MO. So I think during a time when I was hospitalized for four and a half months, watching my fingers decompose in front of me, at that point, I lost sight of hope. I didn't see that I had anything left. I That took a doctor intervening, like shout out to Dr. Wigley at John Hopkins, who is like number one in the world for the condition of scleroderma and finger freezing, I guess. <laughs> Essentially, he came in and he was like, all right, this is a lost cause giving her these. Like, this is not going to help her at all. These are dopamine blockers. This is nerve related. We have to take her off. Was I pissed? Yes. Did I lash out on nurses who were in the room and like, fuck you. Do you see my hands? That's my fuck. <laughs> Do you see my hands coming off? I need these meds. Like nurses would come calm me down. I'd be pissed. But like, so that took a doctor getting involved. Otherwise, I had nothing to live for at the time. I was supposed to take my board exam. That was done. I didn't have a memory anymore. These drugs like affect your memory. I couldn't remember a two number sequence. So mm -hmm. that was that. But now when I go in for these little episodes where I get the Dilaudid on a one-time thing, I mean, I got to say, I have an amazingly supportive family. I have, I have a family who is um, like able to help me when I get these medical bills. When you're someone and you have all these factors playing in when it's like, okay, well I get out of here. Like I was telling Casey, I had to pay on Sunday $5,600 worth of medical bills. And you know, like there's no way out when you don't have something and you don't have a family, you don't have someone instilling purpose in your life. You don't have, like I, 
could say the study notes ABA alone has put such purpose in my life that I had these other things to compete for when I come out, that there's something valuable to come to. But if you are someone who is now with medical bills, you're in pain again. You don't have the resources to go get the help thereafter. You don't have the, the example, the model, right? You're hopeless. And that's you what you are hopeless. And title. I think I don't think it's because I'm special that that I got out of it. I think that I was just You're like lucky. lucky, lucky. Like I'm just it's it's not so that's what I want to say is so for someone like you, it's a blessing that you have this son because finding a computer for a like a competing reinforcer for drugs has to be huge. Yeah, like a contingent mm -hmm. management intervention, right? Something has to be um more reinforcing, more um, motivating than the competing contingency of the feeling that drugs give you. Um, and, and by the way, taking her son away would be a negative punishment because it, it decreased, as you said, we do know that the consequence and the future frequency of the behavior decreased. She no longer, um, she stopped using the drugs. Yeah, but for a lot of people, it's not that way. No, absolutely not. And it doesn't mean you don't love your son, but it's mm -mm. It's, it's, a, it's the point of how strong the drug is. Exactly. Once and also having little... like a family, like mom yeah. and I really supporting you and us being able to talk about it and not shame her or make her feel like, oh, you got your son taken away, so you're a shit bag. Like, right. Because we were like, shame. okay, no, we're going to help. Like, mm -hmm. this is the time. This is the intervention time. And... The moment was right, right? Mm -hmm. The Everything was in play that needed to be in play. She was being held accountable by the um, in, IOP. IOP. Mm -hmm. um, they were monitoring her. Hashtag piss test. Like, yes. you could not... <laughs> you couldn't get, get away it. from this. Okay, um, so when you first stop the behavior, right? Let's say it was put mm -hmm. on extinction. You no longer could have your son. Mm -hmm. Did you have an extinction burst? Did your behavior, like, blow up when you no. first couldn't get it anymore? No. I mean, I'm, I, I kind of secluded myself during all of that so that I wouldn't. But did they out. give you something so that you wouldn't withdraw? When I, I went through withdrawals on my own. Jeez, you're strong. And that shit I, sucks. Like that yeah. sweating and that. Mm -hmm. And the everything, like wanting to escape your own body. I knew that I had to do that for the first couple of days in order to um, really not go back to it. I had to really, really live in my own shit. Sit in you your know, own shit. Sit in your own shit and so not be around anybody. You were doing some like antecedent interventions. You're not hanging out with the same people that were using drugs with. No. You're not engaging. So you're um, changing the behaviors that you mm -hmm. were engaging in that got you the drugs. Yeah. These are all things that you were doing. I'm so proud of you. I am mm -hmm. so, so, so proud of you. Thank you. And I'll always be an addict the rest of my life. I will always be an addict. But the, you own that story, though. Exactly. And you and only I can own that story. My story is my story and everybody else who has a story to tell. I just want you guys to know that there is light at the end of that dark, dark tunnel that you're in right now. And just ask for help. That's the only thing that you can do. Stop being ashamed because you never know whoever you're asking. They could have gone through something very similar in the stigma. Fuck the stigma. There's your F bomb. <laughs> yeah, like I would never expect Liat to have so much in common with my sister right. as like a girl who I see working her ass off and mm -hmm. having like 
15 side hustles and always being on her shit. Like you never know what people are going through. You don't know people's struggles. Don't judge. Um, and you're not alone. And as Caitlin said, and she can proudly sit here today and say that there is hope right now. Is there any thing that you can offer in terms of advice to someone else listening? Because I'm sure someone's listening right now and saying, Oh, great. That's your story. That's amazing. But it would never work for me. That's another huge thing is what works for somebody else is not going to work for everybody else. People said to me when I first got clean, oh, you didn't go to rehab. It's not going to work. You don't go to NA or AA. It's not going to work. You're never going to get clean. You're never going to stay clean. That's a lie. Like I had to do it in the way that I had to do it. I was one of those people, guys. Yes, she sure was. <laughs> but it's individualized treatment, just as we practice in our field um, and so it's crazy yeah. to think that you started what journaling and yeah, like- journaling and um, just being open. I had to be really raw and honest with myself and with my family in order to get through all the stuff and starting to deal with. I also started counseling again for like the 30th time. <laughs> um, but to get through that, you just have to be it sucks. And there's a lot of shame that goes in. That's what keeps us as addicts using is the shame and the guilt of, you know, we feel bad when we use, it's that guilt of feeling bad when we use, but we have to use in order to get better and just do what works for you. That's all I can say. Ask for help and do what works for you because don't listen to anybody that says, if you don't do this, it's not going to work. Now I have a question. Did you ever relapse? Yes. Okay. So relapsing would essentially be, would that be spontaneous recovery, Casey? Yeah. I think you can relate it to that. It's basically the behavior was put on extinction and then, um, just want to check in. It's like I was saying with a relationship yesterday, right? Yeah. I actually think that bad relationships, toxic relationships could also be addictions. Like most definitely when you have someone shitty in your life, you're like, Oh, let me give it one last hit every now. I'm cool now. I could I could just handle it casually. Me yeah. and him are totally cool. I could be around him. Like, I'm so over it. Like, what? I could have one drink. Do you stay away from drinking also? Um, I drink every once in a while. She was moon, never but a I was, drinker. I was, excuse me. I was never a drinker. Um, I had, and I haven't consistently always used. Like, I got clean for periods of time, and then I'd relapse. Get clean for periods of time, and then I'd relapse. But getting Maddox taken was my driving rock bottom. Yeah, was my absolute rock bottom. Okay, so when when you have fallen into that, do you find it hard to get started again? Um, I don't know if it's hard. Because what I'm saying is like, so when you're in these shitty relationships, you go mm-hmm. back to it, right? I mean, I was with a guy who was literally like toxic. Um, and I'd be like, Oh, we're cool now. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. Like things have totally changed. I could see him in a casual capacity. We fixed it, whatever it is. And I'm sure you speak yourself into that same thing. Like, it's fine. I could do one last hit. Exactly. You do. You're like, yep, I got it. If I I can just get high one last time, it'll only be this, but it only takes that one last time to get you right back into that behavior. So you know that if you engage in that behavior one time, it's going to to to, cycle all over again. It's going to continue. Mm Mm-hmm. Nobody can ever just use one time. I mean, if that was true, nobody would be an addict. And tell me something. With heroin, Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like 
all those drug, I mean, all those drug videos you watch when you're in school, like Red Ribbon Week and whatever it is, is it actually like you try it one time and you're hooked? Um, I mean, it's different for everybody. For me, I don't think that it was because I had already, my brain already knew what it felt like to have a drug that was so similar to that. And so, did you start off with injecting? Yeah. Or you started yeah. uh, from the get-go? From the get-go. That's the first time I ever did it. I injected it. And it was just, like you said, that whole entire thing that you that you described as that feeling is what hits you. And then it's not only that feeling that drives you for it. It's your brain goes into withdrawals. Like your mind, you start like, oh, that bag's gone. You start withdrawing and so you're now engaging before, in yes. more behavior to get you more mm, stuff. Yes. Exactly. Are you like always stressed out? Like, where am I going to get my next thing? Always. Because once you do your last shot or your or you sniff your last line, your brain is already going into, I'm going to feel like, Fight or I'm flight. Like, yeah, I'm going to feel like crapping soon, you know, a couple of hours. They say it's like four Avoidance, hours. insert avoidance behavior. Exactly. So it it's just a nasty cycle. And remember, when we talk about escape and avoidance, Casey, what does that associate with? Um, Negative reinforcement. Yeah, just so you guys know in case you're studying. Um, And Casey told me something which I thought was really, really cool of you that recently you had like a tooth abscess or something. Am I saying that right? Yes. And if anyone's ever had tooth pain, that shit hurts. Like really bad. Like, you know, like what happened when you went to the hospital? So I was extremely dehydrated. I was kind of delirious when I went in because I had been throwing up for two days and um, they put me into the critical care unit because my white blood cell count was so high. It was almost septic. So one of my. Hey, I've been through that. We connect so much. Let's I was like, I don't know why I'm even here, you guys. (laughs) Yeah, get out. Longest (laughs) podcast ever. (laughs) Um, So one of my nurses was very, very, because she knew I had gone in there, you know, my charts in the hospitals saying that I'm an addict, you know, heroin user, pill user. So she had already had kind of like a preconceived notion where she was very cold. And she knew that I was in there for the, for my tooth. Like that pain is excruciating. That pain is like worse than labor pain. And, um, and you could speak to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And she came in and, um, she was telling me about, you know, she was more on me about, you know, why are you using, I've lost a brother to heroin. Um, and then she was like, Oh, I'm going to ask your doctor to put you on the oxycodone for your tooth pain. And I was like, So it was kind of weird because she was so hard on me and so cold to me because I was an addict. But at the same time, she was like, I know that tooth pain. Like, I'm a nurse and my husband has seen me, you know, taking shots and taking everything that I can to try to get that tooth pain to go away. And I was like, no, I don't want it. That's amazing. It took it. Trust me, it was so hard to say that. But I knew that that first taste of that oxycodone was going to be enough. And I was like, nope, you can get through it. You can get through it. You can get through it. And wow. then a days later, it was better. And I was happier for not taking the oxycodone. That is impressive that is because your MO in that moment, I was like, there's some, I mean, obviously getting rid of the pain, the removal of that pain mm-hmm. is something huge. Also, there's something that goes unsaid. Tell me if you know what I'm talking about. 
you almost feel like a little victory when the doctor has exactly. decided, like, I'm going to give it to you. Like, every time I go in, like, I have lupus in the medical record to show <laughs> enough issues of, but every time I get it, I'm like, I feel like I've done this little victory of, like, got it. Right? Exactly. And your victory was, I didn't get it. And that is no. so huge for you to say no. You should be so proud of yourself. I am. Thank you. That was definitely... The, once I got through that pain and a couple of days later it was better, I was like, I was even happier and more proud of myself for saying no. Because you know where that would have led exactly. you, Exactly. That would have led me straight back to the heroin. So we are very proud of you, Caitlin. I am you. so happy that you can sit next to me today on the podcast and share your story. Um, so again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. One last thing, one last thing, and I promise I'll shut up. Casey's like, enough, Liat. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Did... Back to my intervention watching. Did, you know, Candy Finnegan, whatever mm -hmm. her name is. Thank yep. you. See, we connect so much. Casey, just get out of here. I'm like, I have to go to work. <laughs> okay. Last thing. Did your family ever have to do a bottom line? Like, we are no longer reinforcing this in any way. Or was that bottom line your son? That bottom line was my son. I mean, I'm sure Casey has tried to do that in the past. And I just never really let her do it. Yeah, like, I mean, there was a time when I went over and you were messed up and mm -hmm. I took Maddox at yes. that moment. And like, part of me, I'm like thinking back, like, why didn't I call DCYF? And mm -hmm. I just couldn't imagine, you know, I, that I, like, if I would have done that, that would have been like, right. it, devastating, yeah. devastating mm -hmm. and horrible. And Maddox, you know, I don't, I didn't want to put him in the foster care place. And I was working mm -hmm. three jobs. I can't take a kid and like. <laughs> I mean, we would have figured it out. But right. anyways, I took him from you for a couple of days mm -hmm. and he was so mad because he was like, I want my mom and I don't like <laughs> you, auntie. Um, but that was kind of me trying to put, you know, yeah. give her like a An wake up call or mm -hmm. a punisher. Um, and it didn't work. So <laughs> <laughs> It worked, but it didn't work because that, like you said, that behavior and that need for that drug not to ever say I didn't love my No, I probably gave you a like free pass to go right. use drugs because I was like babysitting right. your kid. Exactly. At that point, it was different. Wrong once, intervention. Right. But once the state got involved, that was a whole, that was somebody specifically who wasn't in my family telling me, you cannot see him. You cannot have him. You, he is not safe with you. So that was the huge wake up call. Guys, there is hope. Yes, there is hope. You can hope. do this. Rock bottom comes and then. Dark, I mean, the sun comes up after the darkest part of the night. Please remember that. There is light at the end of that dark, dark tunnel you're in right now. So if and you guys know someone who's struggling with addiction or you are, um, like we said, there's hope and you're not alone. And we love you all. Um, and we and Caitlin, I love you. Thank you so much for coming in and answering all these questions. I love you too, Leah. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And by the way, guys, we only have so much family and friends that we could bring on. So <laughs> if you have something interesting to share with us and you think you would be a valuable guest that we could share on our podcast, reach the hell out to us. We would love to have you um, subscribe to our stuff on Behavior Bitches, Apple Podcasts, press subscribe. On Spotify, stars, on Spotify. your favorite podcast app that you use. I'm sure we're going to be there because Pretty Easy Podcast is amazing. Um, so anyways, guys, thanks for joining us. As always, love ya. Mean it.
Hey guys, it's Liat here. And I just wanted to take the time for just a single second of your time and tell you about something awesome. As you know, Casey and I are super into this podcast thing going on here and getting it started. And I just wanted to let you know that there's an easy way to get it done. And that is what I'm gonna tell you right now about Pretty Easy Podcasts. Thank God we got in touch with the team at Pretty Easy Podcast. They help you do everything from start to finish. They will get your show up there. They will record the episode for you. They will produce it. They will add bleeps in if you're full of F-bombs like myself. Whatever it is that you need, they will do it. When you first said you wanted to start a podcast, I was like, okay, we can do that. We have no idea what we're doing. I never really thought it would get off ground until we met Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast, and he put all my fears to rest. He helped us get everything going from all of our audio audio editing and production and our song that we have, which is amazing, by the way. We're allowed to record from our own homes. He helps us with our guests. Um, He caters to our schedule. Come on, Leah, we are the worst with scheduling. I mean, I know we said we're going to have a podcast a week so far. We're out a few days, but hey, he works with us. That's what we need. But the point is, we were looking at how we could download all these different programs to try learn how to do all this podcasting stuff. But truth is, it's affordable. It's much easier to have someone do it for you. You could go to prettyeasypodcast.com and you could get started today. I say go. I say if you want to be heard, if you have something to say, like we do, we love the sound of our own voices, and we found Alan who lets our voices shine. So thank you, Alan, at prettyeasypodcast.com. 